0: Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. In today's show, award-winning sound designer Mark Vogelsang joins us to discuss the marvelous instrument that is the human voice, and how to assess and execute the rhythm of voice and music with real-world examples. Mark's career began in the mid-1990s, working with a variety of musical artists that came through the much-music environment, which then transitioned his career into sound for film and television. When he's not working on documentaries like Masters of Resonance and other fun projects, Mark develops state-of-the-art curricula as Program Director, Audio for Visual Media at the Ontario Institute of Audio Recording Technology. Welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be on the program. I've been checking out Vox Talk, and great name, by the way. Vox Talk is wonderful.
0: Thank you. And I'm very excited to have you here, Mark.
1: No problem. Happy to be here.
0: So one of my favorite times of year is when I come to speak to your class at OEART and thank you so much for the invitations over the last decade to come and do that. It is just such a highlight and joy for me. And every time I go there, Mark, I learn something new and gain a greater appreciation for how voice actors and audio professionals can work together. So one such takeaway, and I know you'll remember this, was around the role of the human voice and in productions. I know that you you see the voice in a very special way and how it interacts with the other elements of, of audio and instrumentation. Do you mind sharing your perspective on that?
1: Absolutely. It was, uh, you know, understanding how frequency, space, music, voice, uh, sound effects, Foley, whatever it was in any of the productions I was working on or learning, in my career, the relationship of the human voice and, and music was you know, a pivotal or Eureka moment in my career that really uh, excelled it forward. One of the, the, the key factors to human voice and music that you and I have talked about is like music, the human voice can be in tune, in rhythm to music. So obviously you know, a singer to music is, is in tune and in sync. But when, you know, you have film and television, you have a voiceover artist or actors, and even in podcasting, that rhythm is really important as as well. You can, it can be dissonant, it can be in tune, it can be on rhythm and it can be off rhythm. It actually took me quite a while. I I stumbled across that, you know, understanding and that technique pretty early on. By accident, you know, I I had a VCR in the early nineties and I didn't have a TV. So all I did for about three years straight, I had two speakers, I put them on the left and the right of my bed and I rented movies and I actually just listened to them. And it didn't take very long to recognize that each film had a different feel to it. And the reason that the films had a different feel to it were how the actors were rhythmic or dissonant or in tune to all the other content, all the other sound factors in there. And I remember hearing Apocalypse Now was the very first one, and it was, you know, it just blew my mind, the orchestration from the very beginning of of the production to the the end, how the voice and the actors and the music, all the music cues in there, either had something, you know, in tune with each other, dissonant to each other, on rhythm or, or off rhythm.
0: That's really interesting. I know that we've talked on this show before uh, about just the voice and its role as an instrument. And I love how you're finding that music and voice, rhythm, they all go together. Well, what is it about the human voice exactly that has a musicality and rhythm?
1: Great question. So that where I start assessing the human voice and deciding where I can implement it into production in, in rhythm, off rhythm, dissonant, or in tune with everything else is I'll I'll break it down, so I'll do something with you, Stephanie. I'm going to get you to say the letter V. So I'm going to get you to say like V is in violet. I'm going to get you to say V. Okay, so say V. V. Okay, so in the letter V, if you voice it like V, there's two really fundamental uh, key components to that. One is referred to as the unvoiced element of speech. One is referred to as the voiced element of speech. So the unvoiced elements are sort of the clicks and clacks when you put your teeth on your lips and your tongue on your palate. It's the non-pitch version of speech. So if we were to say the non-pitch version or unvoiced element of v, we would say f. So we wouldn't engage our larynx. The voiced elements of speech, if we stay with the letter v, would be uh. And you put the unvoiced together with the voiced element and you have v. Now I'm going to get you to do this. So if if you say the letter V, without the voiced element. So without using your larynx, try that.
0: (laughs) It's so hard to do an unvoiced fricative. My goodness, Mark, like this is, it's only, it's only 11 o'clock in the morning when (laughs) we do unvoiced fricatives with you here. Okay, so let's try again. What, What else can we show everyone? And maybe they can all try too right now.
1: Absolutely. The unvoiced element of V would be, it would be an F.
0: Oh, so it, gotcha. the, un,
1: the unvoiced portion of V could be an F and it could be the unvoiced portion of V. And the voiced element of V is the uh. Now in each of those, if you think about a voice actor, if you think about a singer, if you think about an actor, the voiced element of any speech is emotion. So it tells you the contemplative or it tells you the excited or angry portion of speech. You take the unvoiced element, that's the intelligibility factor. But as we speak, as you speak, as I speak, as anyone speaks, there's a rhythm that happens between the voiced elements of speech and the unvoiced elements of speech. So as we roll our consonants and vowels together and we talk about fricatives or diphthongs or anything like that, most humans don't consciously think about it. But in my industry, you know, what I do as a living, that's my first assessment. I have to understand the unvoiced versus the voice element of speech, because when I go into music, as an example, if I want to tune the vocal, so a voiceover or an actor to the music, I would have to look at the voiced elements of speech. If the actor is not intelligible, let's say it's difficult to hear them, I would have to focus on the unvoiced element part of that speech. So that that's the first assessment. That's where I would start out trying to assess the human voice and what are my options to work it into a production, whether it be documentary, podcast, whatever that is.
0: Ah, so the unvoiced element, I'm just trying to think because you have your your fricatives, your whatnots, but you have your aspirate, things like your t you know, your T's and, and ways that you say the consonants that help you to shape the words, not necessarily the vowels. Um, so when an artist is thinking about all that you've said, um, how can they be more aware of what they're doing and, and how that impacts a recording?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it is unconscious. I've worked both on the music side, as you explain, actually started off in, in the music side and then transitioned to film and television. And when I was on the music side, so when, you know, bands would come through or singers would come through the much music environment, it's really interesting in, in the green room or in the hallways, as they would warm up, they would really focus on the voiced element of speech. So, I'm, um, you know, I'm sure some people listening or yourself on the music side, they would do the, uh, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not a singer, sorry, I apologize. But they, you know, unconsciously, I was, I was noticing, you know, that they were really focusing on that aspect of it, not on the intelligibility factor. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to my television and film career, I would be on a film set or television set. We would have the actors live on their microphones. You would hear them off camera, you know, practicing their lines or practicing their voice. They were focusing on the. Tuck, 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 tuck. Oh. They were focusing on the the un voiced element for intelligibility because in film and TV intelligibility is, you know, obviously a big part of it as is the emotional side. And in theater was actually the same. So theater was the best of both worlds. You get a theater actor on set, you get a theater actor on a podcast and it's absolutely stunning to hear how they've trained to control their voiced elements of speech, and unvoiced elements of speech. I don't think any professional goes on a podcast or TV and thinks, okay, I have to tune the the percentage of unvoiced to voiced. It's just so second nature to them. But on my side, it's the difference between really tuning an audience into a production and struggling to tune an audience into the production. So, you know, there is that aspect of working with professionals that's just so enjoyable because all of that rhythm in Unvoiced and Voiced is there to work with. I get to do what I want with it. And when you're working with you know, someone learning, you don't always have the options of the rhythms and emotion that in the Unvoiced and Voiced elements of speech that you, that you would with a, with a seasoned uh, actor voiceover talent.
0: Yeah, that's really, really interesting, because as you were referencing before, more of your musical artists will be thinking, I'm going to do an arpeggio or a scale, and and they'll use vowels. You know, you might have a consonant at the beginning, you know, like, but it's usually the vowel that carries everything through. And and when you're talking about podcasting, public speaking, it's more about, as you say, intelligibility, because you're not riding these beautiful passages all the time as you would in an opera or, or on stage. Uh, You really do have to make communication in a different way uh, important with with those consonants. Not to say the consonants aren't important in opera and singing, because they are, because they help you to know where one word starts and, and ends. But it is like, it's very different. Like when we talk to actors and if they come from a stage background, a theater background, as you're saying, they tend to be uh, definitely more aware of diction and articulation. And and they're the ones doing the tongue twisters. The, the vocalists will do them, but it's more like, you know, you'd rather do something that gets your resonators working, like, you know, something up in your nose, or, or you might be trying to lift the soft palate or, or whatever it might be but I just find that really interesting that the spoken and unspoken, voiced, unvoiced elements of speech, they matter a tremendous amount in the world of audio.
1: Absolutely. the in Tuning those voices or understanding the rhythm of those voices is the beginning. I, I, that's the first thing I do is I listen to the voice. I try to pick out that tempo map, try to figure out what is happening in the human voice, and especially in podcasting. You know, if you have a host intro like you have done in this podcast, even when you were doing it, funny enough, I was tempo mapping your voice. I was thinking, okay, she talks like that. And when I received the recordings, I I would do the same thing. So you take, as an example, a host podcaster. They will intro the guests a certain way, intro the podcast theme, and in the edit, in the mix of that podcast, you know, as a producer, that there's either a branded music cue previous, that speech, or there's going to be a branded music cue post that speech. So you really have to be hyper aware of that rhythm. And I do have some examples, as you talked about, the, these rhythms that we can, we can listen to. And one of the first ones I want to talk about with identifying that rhythm is exactly what we just said. It's a host Georgiana Stanchu from the RCRM speaker series here in town where we recorded her voiceover and I have to get a branded music cue in after her speech. So we've got a couple of cues here. One is an identified tempo map that's edited to music and we have another one that's going to be not edited to music and you'll feel the disjointedness of it. So what we'll do first is we'll cue up the one that's actually edited to speech. Welcome to the RCRM Speaker Series Season 2.
0: Yeah, that was a a lovely take, obviously. She has a nice voice. And uh, when she was speaking, then the music followed.
1: Yeah. So there's that downbeat of music right the the branded music cue that comes in has a downbeat so that downbeat you have a couple of options if you can tempo map that voice so you know welcome it has a tempo to it so once that voice is done you have an option to land that downbeat on the next downbeat of that tempo map of that voiceover or you could land it on maybe if you know the music people are listening right now an eanda of that tempo map of that voice and again a lot of this could be subconscious you wouldn't know unless you heard the non-edited version which is really special we're going to do that today is most people wouldn't know if you've done it right and that's the key in my industry is no one notices if you've done it correctly but people will feel it if you've not so that cue is an example of you tempo map the voice okay oh, yes, see yeah Secret series c2 and then hit the downbeat of the music cue on the next downbeat. Now, it's not going to make much sense until we hear the non-edited version of it. So let's play back the exact same host intro by Georgiana Stanchu. And what you're going to experience is the music's going to come in on a non-rhythm or non-downbeat of her speech. So we'll play that back. Welcome to the RCRM Speaker Series Season 2. done
0: it felt more natural like someone was just they've walked out on the stage and it's like boom there it is right like whereas the other one was like oh yeah and there's music
1: exactly so the first one is right on the next downbeat so you tempo map the voice and you land that downbeat the branded music cue of your podcast right at the rhythm of the voice The other one is not on any rhythm. There's sort of a lull there and you don't know when it's going to come in as a listener and it just sort of shows up. Now, if you do that once, it's not going to ruin the podcast or ruin the listener's engagement. But if you think about how many rhythms are happening in a 30 to 55 minute podcast when speech is occurring, music is occurring, host, guest, branded music cues, support music cues, and sometimes sound effects, there's thousands of rhythms that are happening just in uh you know a couple of voices and music so the audience can get fatigued if the editors and producers sound editors and producers are not tempo mapping or thinking about that that rhythm and what is really interesting about this uh, something i've sort of stumbled upon as a consultant is in my career is why is this not working fidelity wise these recordings are perfect It sounds great. And Stephanie, the answer always is you're editing to the non-rhythms of of the human voice. And I'm not going to name it, but there was a wonderful, massive film about seven years ago that was, you know, multi-million dollar production. It was stalled because the production couldn't figure out why it didn't feel right. And these were some of the world's best sound designers, some of the world's best picture editors, best actors, And they brought an industry leader in, a sound designer, to say, what is going on here? Why is this not working? The answer was rhythm. He said the exact same thing. Great sound effects, great sound design, great music, great everything. You just have your rhythm slightly off and it becomes fatiguing quite early. That's a really, really important one. So that's a host. That's the example of a host introducing a podcast, tempo mapping it, and then uh, launching that music in which is really important. You can disengage or engage an audience just with that simplicity.
0: Yeah, I've heard you talk about films that either don't get off the ground or do poorly at um, film festivals. And it often is because there's something wrong with the audio and you'll never be told that this is why. You know, people sit there scratching their head. Well, why didn't our film get accepted to the film festival? Or why didn't this happen? And And you have said in your classes that it's definitely... It definitely has to do with either the quality or fidelity, as we know that, that those samples you showed us just earlier, that those do have the fidelity. But there could be just something off, you know, and and if it's rhythm and musicality, and, and it's like when you're, I don't know, watching a show or you're going somewhere and, and you're just your senses are they're telling you that this isn't right or, or something could be improved here. So um, I appreciate you bringing that up, because oftentimes people will think, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but something just doesn't feel right.
1: That's exactly it. I mean, that really is my job. Is why is this not working? Or you know, bringing me in early as a sound consultant, teaming up and 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 producing the feeling someone wants is a huge asset to productions. And whether it be you know a, a podcast to a feature film that consideration has to be taken every single time if you think about a guitar so the string would be the unvoiced that just the plucking of the string the guitar body the resonance of it would be the voiced element of speech well if that string is out of tune in relation to the other strings but the plucking the voiced is the same it's still you know the string sound is there it just doesn't work. And musicians could tell you why, but the, the human voice and the, that relationship, the resonance of the body of the guitar is really important in the human voice and with all other sound in any production as well. It's a relationship.
0: All right. I think we're ready to hear some more samples, Mark.
1: Okay. So let's do an example of a live keynote speech. This is a and a So this is at the end of a keynote speech. Gordon Heath, really great uh, speaker. And what it is is, you know, someone walking up from the crowd interacting with the keynote speaker. So this is two people talking, not just a single host. This is at the end of a production destined for podcast. And the same consideration would be taken. You you, you can map this rhythm between two people talking. So we'll have a listen to the version that's edited to music, and then we'll listen to the, the version that's not edited. Now I'm going to warn everyone, I wanted to make this a bit more difficult, so the second one's not going to be as obvious as the first one. So here's the first cue, edited to music. We you know from the Boer War. Yeah, okay, there you go. Right on. All right, thank you. you we know, from the Boer War. Yeah, okay, there you go. Right on. All right, thank you. So what what we just heard was the, you know, the rhythm between two people. Yeah, okay, right on, right on. That type of thing. And when two people are speaking, same consideration. What is the tempo map of how they're speaking? What do I have to get in as the next sound event? And that's really an important concept to bring up. It might not be music. It might be a sound effect. It actually might be a, a voiceover that came in over two actors talking the tempo map is really uh, the same consideration. When do I get the next sound event in based on the rhythm of what just happened? The first one we heard, so you tempo map the da 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 and again, you can land that outro uh, podcast music cue on the next downbeat. You could land it on a yanda. You know, if we talk about quarter notes or 16th or 8th notes in music, you can land them on those rhythms. The second one we heard was very tight, so you know they they ended speaking and it was too early and it's the it's the more difficult of the cues to hear. But I did want to you know you you have professionals that listen to these podcasts, you have sound editors, you have voiceover artists and general public. So I, I wanted to play something a bit more difficult to hear because that's an important consideration. Is that second one is actually a music edit that I wouldn't accept. I wouldn't let out there in the world. It's mu- it's it's not a lot too early. But it is too early based on the rhythm of the last two people that were speaking. So that, you know, it's a, it's, there's a learning curve to hearing and tempo mapping because it's human speech is not on the grid that music is on all the time. You come up with a tempo map that may not exist except for that actor, that voiceover. So it's, it, I, I find it fun trying to tempo map rhythms of speech. But that's the consideration and the skill that needs to come in with with that type of production.
0: I wonder how many people have been tempo mapping us with us not knowing they're doing this because obviously you were doing this at the outset. I know that you've said similar things to me in the past. Oh, I was thinking about these things in the background about the audio and never would have occurred to me. There's a skill there that people do need to develop because if they are responsible as voice artists, as they're primary occupation, but also to mix in music as secondary, you know, like maybe they didn't go to school for music production or what have you. They're just a voice artist who knows how to put files together and and they've been tasked with this. Then they need to understand this principle as well. And just to know, okay, well, I have to time it because it could be that the client is asking that you actually are responsible for lining up the audio, not just sending your dry voice files.
1: Absolutely. I have consulted on careers and I wouldn't call it consultation like someone called me hey can you can i pay you to consult it's more what's happening here why am i not getting these uh, auditions is it a fidelity thing and usually that opens up the conversation is it the wrong microphone uh am i you know not using the right preamp and honestly it's a lot to do with their speaking in a way that's very difficult to edit very difficult to catch a rhythm over you know thirty or fifty-five minutes talking on a podcast or a film. There's just nothing to grab on to. I don't know if you've come across these people, but there are people who you know listen, or more importantly, can't listen to certain types of music, like jazz would be one. They can't catch that beat. Uh, most public attempt, whether they know it or not, to catch the downbeat. So when you tap your foot to music whether you're musical or not, you're trying to attempt to catch the downbeat. You play some really complex rhythms back in music. Some people will tune out because they just can't catch a downbeat. And if you can't catch a downbeat in a podcast, if your audience can't, if your listeners can't in a TV show, if they can't in a film, that's usually the reason that you're not providing some sort of downbeat resolve or downbeat intro or downbeat outro just to really settle that audience into the production you know give them something to tap their foot about that outside of music actual musicians playing that's my job is to create that rhythm of a production so audiences don't turn it off and something important to note about this day and age and podcasting which you guys will understand and a lot of people will as a producer i'm held to metrics you know on the back end of a host site The clients that I have can see, almost like an investment, that the viewership is gaining. That it's actually increasing and increasing and increasing. And a lot to do with that is catching the rhythm of your audience. It's not to do with fidelity. It's not to do with Neumann TLM 103 microphone and an expensive preamp. It's to do with rhythm. Is, the, is catching that rhythm. And that's a really important note about anyone who wants to get into this as a voiceover artist, sound editor, to actually make money and gain clientele is you're held to metrics and you're held to your audience's engagement. And a lot of it is rhythm.
0: That's great to take away. Um, as you were speaking, of course, I was thinking about all the talent who send in auditions on Voices every day and And just how when they read from a sample script, the client script, it's their words and and they have to interpret the client's intent and what they wish to hear from the talent. So the rhythm that the talent delivers the script in or the copy in, it may be a telltale sign to that producer who, like you, would be listening for certain things that you could either say, yep, that'll work. Do you know from just a very small 10 15 second 20 second sample of a person's voice whether or not they would have the right rhythm to let's say carry a documentary narration?
1: Absolutely. I've done it to you, Stephanie. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so when you speak live because I've heard heard you both recorded as a podcast host and I've heard you live, you have a what I would call, you know, a slingshot or a rubber band effect where you do this, and you resolve on on a on a pitch. You do that differently live than you do it in a podcast. But it's it's your brand. You you have a great rhythm. You have a rhythm that you know. Yes, it's a nerdy thing to say, but when you speak, I can hear like yeah, okay, that would work really well for documentary. That would really work well, obviously for podcasting. Work well for film because you're supplying naturally. Uh, which turns into a brand for the production, a lot of rhythms that really meet up with picture edits, as an example. So the way that picture is edited, the way that musician tempos work, as well as how actors speak. So yeah, I do. I have been guilty of, you know, seeing in a coffee shop and just listening to people and it is it's really fascinating hearing hearing the rhythms and that's another comment to make as well is after voice and unvoiced elements of speech whether it's going to work for voiceover podcasting the other side of it is what are the frequencies that they're actually producing so you know are they producing a good amount of low frequencies are they producing mid-range and and high frequencies because in those, there's a whole other relationship that you have to consider. There's a rhythm in each of those zones, low, mid, upper, mid, high, and there is emotion that comes in, in those spaces as well. And that's really the what you have to train for in sound and in voice and what you're doing is what are your rhythms generally, so voiced and unvoiced. Then you can really get into the nitty gritty. And then what are your rhythms in your low frequency, mid, upper, mid, and high ranges within all the frequencies that you actually produce? And I would say if you really want to work professionally, you're a voiceover, you're a sound editor, whatever it is, you really have to get into that concept. Uh, I know I do a class, a podcasting class with the students, and their eyes are really opened to tuning the rhythms of frequency space. That's a really big, you know, hurdle to get over as a professional, and something everyone should take uh, uh, seriously is is that frequency space and and what you're providing to the to the production. You know, most people are hired for that reason, whether they know it or not. In frequency space, they're providing a pitch and frequency space that uh, belongs to a character and that the audience will enjoy or react to.
0: Well, that's really interesting. So. If you're able to pick up on what people are doing in their auditions and and when they're speaking to others, just in general, does a brand or a company, do they even know what they're looking for in terms of those patterns? Like, do they say this is what our brand vocal tempo or the way that our rhythms are? Like, is that something that they would map out on their own or is it not a very conscious decision? It's just more this feels right for what we're doing.
1: It's definitely not a conscious decision decision up front unless you've worked like you know some productions i work on i would tell them exactly what i'm telling everyone right now is okay so you've given me a temp you know an example of what you want so say it's a film a little scene from a film a podcast maybe they've sent me a podcast link they want it to sound like this so you know part of my job would be okay assessing that listening to it i see what they're looking at here they're attracted to these types of rhythms. They're attracted to this type of frequency space. Now I'm not going to go up to them and you know, give them a report on all of that, but I'll take that into consideration. And I'll often educate the client or the uh, team that, you know, this is what you were looking for. Let's Let's get nerdy for a second and talk about why you enjoyed the example productions. The next time you work with them, they are going to be conscious of that. So they can take that into their repertoire. It really is a wonderful thing to work with a sound team if you know producers, directors, voiceover talent can understand that that rhythm, that frequency space is going to be a huge part of whether people react to the content uh, or the production or not. So yeah, some people are, are conscious of it. Some are not. <laughs> I love when they're not because it's a really nice thing to educate. And, and the client feels great because now they know. Right now, oh, that's why I like, you know. And I've said to some people, wow, you, you've given me a, a film, let's say a scene that those rhythms or patterns of voice are very, very strange. And then I'll say to them, what's your favorite music? And they'll say, jazz, you know, <laughs> uh, underground jazz. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or, you know, very controlled, methodic voiceover. What's your favorite type of music? Pop. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, country, right on the downbeat and the a- mm-hmm. end is. And so you can sort of, ma- you just sort of match the, the, the personality of a client to the personality of, of the rhythm of the production, which is, uh, you know, it's a great thing to offer. Uh, right. I'll get repeat contracts. That's, that, that's something I love to do. And, and I'll get repeat contracts for that is, you know, I, I can distill it down to why the uh, client wants it to sound a certain way and help them with their brand that way.
0: And that's exactly why people should work with professionals, sound producers, sound designers, sound um, supervising editors, all of these uh, wonderful jobs that are, are out there. And clearly, um, you graduate lots and lots of skilled people from OER to do just that in the real world. When you were talking about okay, well, here's the 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 weird times. Oh, that's a jazz fan, and here's like the the predictable downbeat. Okay, we got pop and and uh, country. So where would like a three four or a six eight or a you know a nine eight meter come in? Like you know, if you've got like a waltz, are there other rhythms that people employ?
1: Yeah, the waltz is a great one. Let's say you want to go out of a, a narrative in film that the audience is totally in tune with. Uh, Spend no energy understanding what's going on in a scene. But then you want to sort of add a, a twist to it. So let's say, you know, an emotional scene, a love scene, two characters are falling in love. A really nice rhythm to consider is a waltz. So you'll see on the picture, consciously or subconsciously, the director might have directed camera movements and principal characters to move to certain rhythms waltz is a great one and the sound you know the the music cue or the sound effects or the aspects of that edit can also match something in regards to a waltz a waltz is a really nice one to set someone into a different tone like the emotion has changed in the narrative but it's still very palatable if that makes sense you know, pop. So downbeats are great. That's you can set your audience into that. But if you want to switch it up a little bit. A waltz sort of rhythm is a great one to go to. If you go out of that (laughs) and get more complicated.
0: Like five, four or
1: something like that. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's two directors. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson would be one of them. His films have that he works with a composer, Johnny Greenwood, that's from Radiohead, the band Radiohead. Oh, yes. yes, Yeah, you listen to any one of his films, the rhythm of picture, the rhythm of the actors, the rhythm of sound just kind of goes off sometimes and then just lands you right back on the downbeats. And you, you might not know why as an audience you're feeling that way. Um, I'm telling you right now, everyone listening you're being manipulated by the sound team, the picture team, <laughs> yeah. the actors very strategically to supply you with the same engagement as you would listening to a song. It's just not laid out on the grid verse course, verse course, bridge, verse course, that type of thing is music, but it mm-hmm. is a consideration and an execution that that happens on those productions.
0: Wow. There's a lot of thought clearly that goes into how the entertainment, the content that we consume is shaped. A lot of it is something we would never, ever think of on our own. So I'm so glad you're going through this. And I know we have some more samples, so we'll go through those and looking forward to hearing uh, what the next lesson is.
1: The next samples are all about what we just talked about, the frequency space. So what I'm going to do, the first one we'll play back is uh, another guest speaker. This is a remote Remote recording from the uh, RCRM Speaker Series. Uh, The guest is Sean Campbell. Great speaker. You'll hear it right away. Voice sounds great. Really nice rhythm. So the voice and unvoiced elements of speech are like a pop song. They're very easy to listen to. You know, you could listen to them for a very, very long time. But I want to break them down. I want to break them down into four areas. So we'll listen to the full frequency first. Then we'll listen to low frequencies, mid frequencies, upper, mid, and high And uh, we'll end off with that, talking about how you can take that into consideration with some some of the production. So the first one we'll listen to is Full Frequency. Who would go on to be the country's first prime minister and the signatory at the Treaty of Versailles. Now, how nice does that sound, right? Really smooth, really nice rhythm. Let's break that down into different zones of frequency space in, in how he's speaking. So let's listen to the low frequencies so low frequencies would be the you know the rumble the nice smooth maybe if we were to give it a hertz value up to 150 hertz let's listen to that rhythm so, to be the 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 so that frequency you you hear it's very smooth um it's the weight of the voice it's voiced so we don't hear any unvoiced elements of speech in that zone its responsibility is the engagement, right? It's close to the microphone, it's smooth, um, but it provides no intelligibility. So we don't have any intelligibility other that factor, but it does have a rhythm. If you listen to it, it's the... Right? The next thing we'll listen to is the mid-range. So as we move up into the frequency space, you'll start to hear a different ratio of unvoiced and voiced. So we should, we should be able to start hearing intelligibly what he's saying in this next mid-range this is you know up to i would say 460 hertz who would go on to be the country's first prime minister and the signatory at the treaty of versailles still sounds a bit muffled but we have some intelligibility there i don't know if everyone can hear it but in there we start hearing different parts of the vowels and maybe some of the consonants against the rhythm of that low frequency so they're they're hard to detect but they're starting to offset from each other. So it's not the same downbeat of each. Next one we'll listen to is the upper mid range. So this is up to about 2,500 or 2,500 Hertz. We should really start to hear some articulation of the voice, high intelligibility factor. Who would go on to be the country's first prime minister and the signatory at the Treaty of Versailles. So that frequency, I'm sure you, you guys have heard it. That's a really nice phone voice, you know, in, in mm-hmm. film back in the day. It's you You could focus on that range a little bit lower than that to to build that phone voice. But you hear there that the intelligibility factor is there, but the weight of it is lost, right? So the rhythm of that low frequency uh, that we heard first maybe is not the same uh, rhythm that's in the upper mid that we just heard. Last of it, which is the high frequency range, I would refer to this as the air of the voice, right? This is really the teeth on the tongue, the tongue on the palate of the mouth, the lips going together, the plosives, and the, the air of, of the voice. Who would go on to be the country's first prime minister and the signatory at the Treaty of Versailles. All right, so that's the air. You can you can kind of hear the ratio factor of voice to unvoiced is a little bit different. We're starting to hear a little bit more of the unvoiced. Let's cue up the last of the cues right away. In here, I want to play in that last high range just the rhythm of isolating the letter s so in the next last cue we're going to hear i just want to play back one single letter and the rhythm of that and that's really the you know the end game is as an engineer as a sound editor is to hear the rhythm of singular phonemes consonants and vowels so we'll cue that one up not very pleasant to listen to but it's a rhythm no different than when you pluck a string with a guitar pick it has a very fast attack a high frequency that has a responsibility and if as an example that letter s that we heard if that's not coming through correctly in a podcast if it's not coming through in a theatrical environment if it's not coming through in headphones that's an issue that rhythm alone is an issue and then the frequency space is also... And there's a production, uh, Masters of Resonance, that I'd worked on uh, in 2018. What I just played to you, it was months of determining all of that frequency space and finding the rhythms of the actors to the instruments, because Masters of Resonance is based on you know, two of the most famous drum kits in the world. There was a lot <laughs> to consider in the frequency space uh, that was going on with the human voice and the instruments in that production.
0: Yeah, I I um, haven't seen the documentary, but I, I did watch a trailer, and I I recognized a couple of the musicians that were there, and one of them was the drummer for the Newsboys. He just looked like he was having like the greatest time ever, and he's like looking at his drums, and he's he's so excited, and and you know that alone will make you want to watch this documentary if you can get your hands on it. Um, but what was it about like? That for the drummer, like what what was it that made them so happy as they encountered these drums?
1: It's the relationship of the harmonics, so the frequencies that that instrument actually produces, very similar to when we heard the full frequency voice that we just heard in the cue. I like that. That to me, that's equivalent to a good sounding kick drum or a good sounding tom. Everything that you would ever need is there in frequency space in that production in masters of resonance you know i was a drummer i was very nervous to be on that production because neil peart and J.R. robinson were in it so that two of the most in my opinion famous drummers out there J.R. robinson is the most recorded drummer in history neil peart is you know obviously everyone knows neil peart from russia if you're into uh, drumming that what made the the drums dw drums so exciting to them is what's referred to as harmonics So as you hit a drum, a fundamental frequency is produced, the manufacturer decides that fundamental frequency, and then all the other harmonics, the other frequencies that come with that fundamental, how they're tuned against it, defines that drum itself. So they're excited because when they hit the drum or they articulate that drum in a certain way, it's creating harmonics that they enjoy and harmonic relationships in human voice and instruments are really important and that's what we we had to tune you know Neil Peart and J R Robinson when they spoke i was tuning frequency space of their voice to the drum kits that they were playing in that production so in harmonics you know there are good frequency relationships and there are bad frequency relationships and if you know what those are and know how to listen for them you can really Uh, make a character voice match their instruments in the scene or you can make them dissonant and you can use them for good and evil it's not dissonant is not wrong if a director says to you i want the audience to not feel right about this scene well that's a tactic is i'm going to offset the rhythm of the sound edit and harmonics to the principal actors or voiceovers that are in that scene the skill lies in hearing that and knowing those relationships You know, really simple relationship to understand. Fundamental frequency, that's where all sound starts. That's number one. So number one harmonic. There are harmonics, whole integer, two, three, four, five, six. Just as a quick education to the listeners, every even harmonic, so number two, four, six, eight to that fundamental, or three, five, seven, nine. Even sound good. People like those relationships to the fundamental frequency. The odd harmonics sound not so good. So you can really... Isolate the frequency space and tune human voice, drums, music cues, instruments with those factors in there to really get your hands in the guts of the audience and, and change the way that they are experiencing the, uh, the sound at that time.
0: Wow. Well, speaking of guts of things, <laughs> that the, the drums themselves have a, an amazing story and I want you to tell it. So where did this drum kit come from? How was it born in effect?
1: So there's one kit specifically in Masters of Resonance that uh, J.R. Robinson plays. So again, he's the most recorded drummer in history. DW go on these wood hunts to find wood, special wood, to create their drums. So their drums, you know, have a unique brand to them. They got wind of this 1,500-year-old bog oak tree that was in the bottom of a river fed by the Black Sea. So they you know do you guys want this DW the people that that found it said you know they knew about DW so of course their answer was yes they get this wood back to their their uh, shops and they cut it up and they start making it into this drum kit so you know I'm, I'm sure your listeners can understand there are not many drum kits made out of 1500 year <laughs> bog yeah. oaks trees that get to be played. So in Masters of Resonance, it goes the documentary really goes through that that concept of building that drum kit that's made of wood that no one has access to on Earth in that in that specific environment, and only a few people get to play it. And what is it about that drum kit that is special? Yes, it's the fifteen hundred year old wood, but it's also the fundamental frequencies and the harmonics that are. Uh, that come from that drum kit when, when you play it, it's just not the same as every other drum kit out there. And that's something to be said about voiceover artists. You know, you could be that bog out drum kit. If (laughs) if you can, you know, people wanting to get into voiceover, practicing that brand, practicing how their voice can be manipulated and special. Uh, That's a key factor to a lot of clients is can you brand their production the same way that that drum kit brands DW drums?
0: Wow, that was that was really, really awesome. I was going to say it was beautiful, but I'm just thinking there's a video, actually. We have it linked in our show notes for anyone who wants to watch. It's a two-minute or so trailer of Masters of Resonance where you do see this tree, you see the water, you see everything. It's crazy. Yeah, just knowing how it was made, and obviously, like, a drum kit is made, not born. That's I'm just kind of, like, trying to think of ways it's been created here, but but the way it was made and the care that was taken in, in all that you you do see that in the documentary as well just someone kind of getting the wood and and making sure that it's uh, pliable and, and having you know certain parts of the drum kit like you see kind of them unfolded and someone rolling something and and it's important to to understand that yes this is an instrument and percussion instruments they're great because not only do they help you to they're kind of like consonants like on the end of words like per- percussive like you might think, oh well, someone's speaking percussively like you know or that all your consonants and so on but then there's that nice reverberation that kind of flows sort of, sort of like the vowel like you know how we see that and um I I love that about those instruments and and so for for singers or, or people who use their voices, it's important to remember that your instrument, it's basically a string instrument, for lack of a better term, but it's also like percussive as well, like how a piano is both, right? So um, obviously the voice is is far more delicate, but you have those vocal folds and, and they work by, um, you know, producing sound, rubbing together, making a frequency of sound. And similarly, when you have these other instruments and there's tension or there's some kind of, of a bringing together of, of these elements, then that's actually how you get the sound that comes out. So um Shaping what you say, um, taking care of your instrument, being aware of how your instrument interacts with other instruments in the mix, which I think is really important. And we've talked about that before. But the voice is literally another instrument in the musical ensemble. So a voiceover, even if it's spoken, still needs to be treated like an instrument.
1: Absolutely. I was going to say that to you because you and I have had you know, many talks about that your voice is something you have to take care of and it has something you have to warm up and you it might be subjective you know some people will like medium warm tea some people will like room temperature water it's figuring out uh, how to take care of your voice and then how to use that uh, in certain environments especially with direction which is why i have stephanie out is uh, to talk about you know character development and if, you have an, if you're an evil character or a good character. If you don't take care of your voice, if you don't know how to use it, it's very difficult to do. Something really interesting uh, to let your listeners go, aspiring voiceover talent that maybe are at the beginning or mid-career. One really great thing to do to practice rhythm, what we've been talking about today, is find a rhythm of speech that you enjoy. But don't think about the rhythm. Just find you know lines of dialogue or characters in film that you enjoy. Try to like a cover song, try to repeat it exactly. Then go and find a, a scene or a voiceover that you don't you know don't like very much. For some reason, maybe you don't know why it doesn't jive with you. Try to copy that. Try to repeat that. And you know, that's what musicians do. A lot of musicians start off with playing cover songs. There's absolutely nothing wrong with voiceover talent, you know, practicing or, copying the cover version of uh, other voiceovers that they enjoy and, and lines of dialogue that they don't enjoy. That's a really important aspect uh, to supply sound editors or producers like myself, and directors and producers options, right, twisting it slightly one way or the other. The only way you're going to get there is by uh, practicing the good and the bad parts and, and rhythms of, of speech.
0: Well thank you for the homework mark. I think some people hopefully have been <laughs> writing down your your tips and what to try and and it's always good to recopy. We we always encourage people to to just do the reading. Just pick something up and and see how it sounds when you speak it aloud because it's so different than when you're reading something just in your head. So that's I think our conversation today was so rich. But before we go, is there anything that you would like to say in parting? Perhaps, maybe just how people can follow your work or, or get a hold of you, if that's what you'd like.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm happy to. LinkedIn is a great one. I do enjoy LinkedIn for people getting in touch. Uh, I do have people, you know, why is this not working? Is this okay? Totally open um, to to trying to help people figure out you know why a production is working or not working a voiceover recording why it is or it isn't connecting on linkedin is great just my name you can you can search me out and i i generally put up links to what i'm working on there imdb is a tough one because there's so much work outside of imdb nowadays that i include all that type of thing on linkedin but i love linkedin for that is you can just put everything you're working on and involved in and then people can sort of uh, track or get a hold of you and I really do love that. I, and, you know, that's part of why I chose to get into the education side along with still doing everything professionally is I love teaching, right? I, I love uh, opening the eyes of people to the, the power of sound, as, as cheeky as that sounds. But um, happy to help anyone out in that way and definitely look me up.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Mark, for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And that's the way we saw the world through the lens of voiceover this week. Thank you for listening and for just enjoying what we're doing. It's so exciting for us to hear from you. Um, Thank you again for tuning into Vox Talk. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. And if you have any friends who you think would really enjoy this episode with our special guest, Mark Vogelzang, as we talk about everything to do with sound, musicality, human voice, then send them this podcast. This episode is gold. As you know, You can follow us on social. Use the hashtag VoxTalk. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. Your producer has been Jeff Bremner. And we'll see you next week.